0: Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute!
1: That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call! Brown and the steal. Jalen. No. Lowdown's candles out! Gets it, it's an Tatum off the
0: bounce. To the basket! <laughs> Come on, refs, get with the game here! And welcome back to another episode of Celtics Pod, part of Celtics blog of SB Nation. And because of being part of SB Nation, today we're joined by Keith Smith. Everybody knows him from his writing on Celtics blog and Yahoo Sports. How are you doing, Keith? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Nah, man, it's my pleasure. You, um, You were at Shootaround and then you was at the game as well when they were playing against the Magic, right? Correct, yep. How was that? Did you um did you get a chance to speak to any of the players or get uh, get any information in, in regards to what changed other than that film session?
1: Yeah, you know, what's what's kind of funny is right, so the, the regular beat writers, the you know, John Corrales and Adam Himmelsbach and those guys, they're around the team all the time. For me, because I actually you not know, maybe everybody knows this, but I live in Orlando. So I'm covering the team from afar. So I'm relying on, you know, a lot of other ways to get information about the team, and then I'm I'm very rarely seeing them in person. So it was it was really cool to get the the first you know, up close and personal experience. We did get to talk to several of the players as well as Brad. Stevens. We talked to Jason Tatum. He mentioned you know his injury he doesn't think it's too bad he was um pretty by the time we were allowed into the gym he was pretty soaked in sweat and sitting over on the side so that says to me he must have got in a pretty good workout at some point which is you know uh, i'm i'm gonna play amateur doctor here for a minute but hopefully that means uh, that's a good sign we talked to uh, kemba walker about being named to the all-star team that was you know really really cool experience because you could tell just how humbled he is how much that means to him he was all smiles so Talking about that and then talked with Brad Stevens just about a lot of different things. And in and you're, you're right, multiple players did mention that film session. Uh, the the long one the other day and then they said they did something similar prior to the Orlando game. And that, you know, clearly worked as they, they got behind early, but as as this team is prone to do, reverse that and came back for, you know, a, a pretty big win considering how short they were.
0: And it's that shorthandedness that's going to be I wouldn't say a problem, but it's definitely concerning as they're going into the game today against the Pelicans.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know, you never wanna be shorthanded, especially on the road, that's always tough. And you don't want to be in a position to, you know, continue to fall behind and have to play from behind and play catch up in these games. But they they're they've they've gotten okay with it. I'm gonna guess Jalen Brown might go today. He was really close to playing in Orlando. It was it was they took it all the way down to him warming up before the game, before they ruled him out, and I'm gonna guess that was kind of an abundance of caution thing. We know Ennis Cantor's not gonna go for certain he's still back in Boston. Tatum, I'd be surprised if we see him today. I'm going to guess it's probably maybe not to the middle of this coming week here. And then, um, Who's the last? Oh, Marcus Smart, you know, popped up on the injury report with a sprained left hand, and that seemed to happen in the game against the Magic. But he stayed in and finished the game, and we all know that guy. You know, if, if he's not going to play, they might have to cut his left and right hands off for him to to be out. So, yeah, I, I, but we'll see. It's just it's going to be tough, and the Pelicans are playing better, and Zion's there now, and the the fans are fired up, and all those kind of things. So, I think it's going to be a pretty tough game for Boston.
0: One of the big misses, which. At the start of the year, I couldn't envision myself saying it's going to be Enes Kanter. Jackson Hayes is, well, I thought he played quite well when they played us uh, a few weeks back. Uh, He's really good at rim running. He's a big guy. Do you feel like Daniel Tice isn't going to be able to hang with him when it gets physical down low?
1: Yeah, I think Tice will. He he's his um he's he's a super athletic guy, but he's not overly strong. Which those are the guys that tend to give Tice some trouble. The guys who can you know kind of muscle him up and move him around. So I think Tice this kind of plays into his matchup. The other thing is I think Tice will give him a lot of trouble on the other end because Hayes doesn't he's still not comfortable stepping out on those bigs with range. And we've seen you know Tice does a lot of his work around the perimeter, does a lot of work as a roll man, a pick and pop guy, and they've really started using him more and more as a passer over the last I'd say month or so and I think that's going to be really important too so I think that might be one of those ones where where Tice gives as good as he gets uh, in that matchup
0: and if Tice is matched up with Jackson Hayes the inevitable question is, who's going to guard Zion? <laughs> uh, everybody.
1: Um, you know, we'll, we'll see who's available. If, if Tatum can't go, we'll see. If, and if Tatum and Brown can't go, I would expect Grant Williams will be in there. He probably gets the first shot at Zion. Uh, you know, he's probably the... the combination of size and athleticism if Brown and Hayward if Brown can go I would say it's Brown and Hayward are going to get matched up on him I assume smart we'll pick him up I think it'll just be a kind of more traditional you match up and then they'll do their switching thing and and just covering him you know with any number of guys I think this is a game where Semi Ojale will play quite a bit too because I think he's a guy Zion's the kind of guy you know big um, physical forward who has the ball in his hands a lot. Those are the guys that is that on this roster to guard.
0: Yes, has definitely got the strength to kind of hold his own down low. The thing that concerns me with Zion is the fact that he can he can get ahead of steam coming down the floor and he's also showing an ability to hit the corner free, which is going to just open up those driving lanes more and more for him. With the way the Celtics switch, do you find do you feel like they're going to be trying to put this, the Pelicans will be trying to put the Celtics in mismatch modes every single play?
1: I don't know about every single play. That's not necessarily how the Pelicans play. It. They play a little bit more of a free flowing motion type offense versus a lot of um, uh, how do I put this? They they don't do a lot of pick and roll and mismatch offense. That's just not really their style. So I don't know that we'll see it be a situation where they um, they're, they're trying to seek out mismatches. I think they just kind of naturally happen. The other piece, too, that I want to mention, too, is I think we're going to see some zone. Again, The Boston's been working in that 2-3 zone in quite a bit. They, they've done it in the last three games against the Lakers, the Grizzlies, and the Magic. All three pretty good results. And the Pelicans are a similar type team where they're athletic and big, but they don't always shoot it well. So I think you're going to see the Celtics do that, especially if they're shorthanded. Brad Stevens told me after the game that he he used it to help save some legs because he was worried about the guys being able to keep up uh, out there and not you know, getting tired. So we'll see what that looks like, and I think think we're going to see quite a bit of that worked in as well because that just makes sense to you know, challenge them, force them to maybe make those outside shots. But, yeah, I don't think the Pelicans will be looking for mismatches, but if they get them, they're certainly going to take advantage.
0: So touching on the zone, that's a really key point that you've brought up. That seems to be a defensive scheme that's being rolled out more and more across the league this year. Do you see any any reason why? Is there any specific point that's kind of leading more towards this zone defense happening across the league this year?
1: Yeah, I think there's two pieces to it. One I think is we've had a lot of injuries this year where teams are just going into these games and they've got eight or nine guys available and then the rest are, you know, maybe their two-way guys were called up or deeper bench guys and the like. So so I think that's that's a big part of it, I think, was to to for the these teams to go out there and they're just they're they're just trying to get get uh, how do I put it get the best that they can get through it the other thing is i think it's effective i think especially with how big and athletic guys are now, the whole thing with the zone used to be was you get stuck in it and you couldn't get out to the corners or out to the out to the wings quick enough to defend. Or if you did come out to the wings or the corners, you left those big gaps inside and those things. And now these teams are so big and athletic that these guys can really move and cover a lot of ground. So I think these NBA teams are, are using it as a really effective tool defensively. And in addition, you know, kind of finally to that is, a lot of teams don't shoot it very well, so this is if you're worried about them beating you in other ways, why not zone for a few possessions, see if you can catch them kind of looking and and play play catch them off guard with that and see see where it goes and that's what I think we're starting to see a lot of
0: and then as you mentioned, a lot of teams don't shoot it very well. The pelicans actually have a really good shooter and a good slasher in brandon ingram he's played he's improved phenomenally through this season I feel like he's a totally different player to the one that got traded into the Pelicans during the summer do have you seen much growth from him is there anything he's doing at the moment that impresses you and worries you from a Celtic standpoint
1: yeah he he is a tough versatile scorer he can put the ball on the floor he can really shoot and score at all three levels of the game he doesn't force a lot he no longer there there was times in his Los Angeles career where you just kind of didn't know he was out there he's kind of kind of of just not sleepwalking through the game but he just wasn't making a lot of impact plays that was then that's tough to get to get by you you can't really get through with with those things if those guys are going to be out there not doing anything and I think for him now he that never happens now now it's You know he's out there, and he's playing with force. He's making things happen. He is, you know, a playmaker. He's a really good passer, too. And I think that's going to be tough for the Celtics. You know, it'll be a mix of Smart, Brown, Hayward, Tatum, if he's available, uh, guys off the bench. Well, he'll see a lot of different defenders. And that's going to be tough because what, what now with him is you put a bigger, slower guy on him, like let's say he gets Ojale or Williams. He's just going to take him outside and try to beat him off the dribble. You put a smaller guy on him, and he's going to probably get down inside and try and score at the bucket. So it wouldn't surprise me if Marcus Smart sees a lot of time checking him. But a lot of that will, again, it's going to depend so much on if Brown's available or somehow if Tatum can play how, the, how uh, Brad Stevens chooses those matchups.
0: I mean, it's quite an obvious point to make, but Zion Williamson has really transformed in two games. Just his presence on the floor has transformed the prospect of the Pelicans and when you're guarding them. Having Lonzo Ball's got the ability to just pick pick locks, no matter how hard you're um, digging up on him. From the Celtics' perspective, is there any player you feel like is going to have a positive matchup? Personally, I feel like Gordon Hayward might have a matchup where he's able to go off or impact the game with his passing a bit more than he would be able to against a team like, well, he's done really well against the Magic, actually. Um, But I do feel like this matchup could favour Gordon, maybe Kemba as well.
1: Yeah, I think, I think they're going to give them a lot of trouble in the uh, pick-and-roll game with Kemba. That's, that's what really killed the magic in that first half. That's what got the Celtics back into it. Just about every play down was give it to Kemba, let him run a screen and roll, and make something happen. And there was just really nothing that they could do to to stop it once it get rolling. And then they opened the second half, and they started blitzing every pick-and-roll, and Boston ran some different actions to free some stuff up. And then they put, put the ball in Hayward's hands a lot as a playmaker maker smart did did more as a playmaker and that that's going to be important this is what what I always say about the Celtics team this comes up with Philadelphia most often because it's division rival and another good team is how are they going to defend against those big guys and that, and I'm hearing a little bit of that today of uh, how will they defend a you know, Zion Williamson well let's flip it the other way How Zion who's Zion Williamson going to defend you know if if Williams or Ojale is out there not an issue but if he's going to cover Hayward Or Brown, or if Tatum can go, he's gonna have to cover one of those three guys quite a bit. And those are the guys that you know Boston did one thing that they've excelled under with Brad Stevens is they find the matchup that they can work best with on offense too. And if that matchup is hey let's go after these guys and make them defend, you know, make it work. Now I I assume you saw because I think most of social media saw Zion block a shot into about the eighth row the other night, And and that might happen. You know, but what you didn't see was the three or four times guys beat him off the dribble. It made something really good happen because there's there those aren't the highlights they want to show. So so that's what becomes really interesting is you know how are they going to make it work? Because I think it's it's really uh, one of those things where you want to you want to make him kind of get it on the other end as much as he's giving it to you on the offensive end.
0: Yeah, so I don't think he's going to be ready to guard somebody like Jason Tatum just yet or Jalen Brown. And talking about the pick and pop and the pick and roll that Tice is really utilising great with Kemba. And he's done a little bit of the same with Jason Tatum as well. When Kemba was playing against the Magic in the first half, he scored eight out of his 10 buckets off that pick and roll and pick and pop scenario. So he's been deadly like that. He was That was his bread and butter when he was in Charlotte as well. So I'd expect to see that happen again today. When it comes to Zion, I'd like to see somebody like Jalen Brown because Zion's athletic, but I don't think he's got that first step, that lateral quickness to try and stay in front of a guy who's who's so quick and able to jump so high up as Jalen can.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. I think what you're going to see is uh, a lot of that where those guys are they're, – they're, he's going to have – I I think whoever he's guarding, you're going to see Boston put it in that guy's hands some to to make plays. Really, probably starting from the arc inside out, and then they're going to make him defend on the move as well with using whoever he's defending as a screener. And, and you know, as much as he's a you know, ridiculous athlete and can do just about whatever you ask him to on the floor athletically. That's different from hey, pick up Kemba Walker thirty feet from the hoop on a switch. Now that's tough for even the best guys in the league. Never mind a guy who's playing in his third NBA game.
0: So we've covered a lot of the matchups. Sorry, we've covered a lot of the matchups regarding the two teams. Is there any other points that you feel like are going to be pertinent here? If, if Jalen and Jason are both unable to go, Enes is missing, do you feel like the shorthandedness of the Celtics might be too much of a mountain for them to climb to come out of this one victorious?
1: Yeah, it might. I I know they won in Orlando, and Orlando's a better team, but Orlando's also banged up. They were missing a lot of key guys as well. So so that was a little bit more of a fair matchup. Now the Pelicans have been banged up all year, and I think it's important for fans to not – Go to well. We just beat this team by by a million points in Boston a couple of weeks ago. Why wouldn't it be the same thing? Well, this is a very different team. They're they're almost completely healthy now. They're only missing a ham hand, handful of guys, but they're guys who've been out for a while. So now it's it's it, this is much more the Pelicans team that David Griffin envisioned when he put this roster together. So they're they're a better team. They're a healthier team. So you can't overreact if the Celtics lose. And I say that knowing that's exactly what's going to happen anyway. Um, but you know. I just want to want to kind of caution people to well, let's not get crazy here because you know they're 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 okay. It's it's not the end of the world if they lose this game because it's you know this is a good team and they're they're gonna have these matchups against these good teams where they're gonna be challenged and they're gonna have to you know really make things happen. And whether they can or not, we'll we'll see. But when you're this shorthanded, it eventually catches up to you. You're not gonna win all of them, so I think they're going to be really, really hard-pressed and challenged to to get this win, but but you never know. I've learned with this team over the last few years, the more guys who are out, for whatever nonsensical reason you can find, they seem to play better, so I'm not going to count them off from getting a win here in New Orleans today either.
0: And i would take Brad Stevens to 301 wins if that was to happen. How do you feel about that? 300 wins is a huge milestone. It's crazy that the guy he passes has two rings, but I'm not one to kind of judge Brad Stevens just based on championships at this point due to what he's accomplished in rebuilding the roster. Are you happy to have him? I know there's quite a quite large section of fans that are anti Brad Stevens and I can't fathom any reasonable reason why.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. I think it's uh it goes back to you can't fire the players. So, you know, if something goes wrong it's it's Stevens, I think. Yeah, in general, Boston and New England area sports fans are spoiled. If your team's not competing, you know, in the final game of the year every few years, then, well, what are we doing? Are we actually good or not? And I think that's a, a thought of how much – Stevens has had to go through here as a Celtics coach the first year was a revolving door of uh, players you know in and out with injuries as they were kind of really kicking off their rebuild that second year I think that's the year Ainge made seven or eight in-season trades and that was you know they never went, you know, more than a span of about three or four weeks with the same roster up until the trade deadline. And that's really tough. And that team, you know, made a playoff run. And since then, they've been right there. They've been, you know, pretty good teams since then. And and last year left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And and some of that criticism is owed on Stevens. He is the coach. He never really did get control of it. He never, you know, was the guy who said, all right, enough of this. We're going to make we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to make these things happen. So that, that he does deserve criticism there, but I, I look at it as he doesn't get. He takes far more criticism than is really valid, just because it's it's this mountain of crap that he takes when he doesn't get a lot of the criticism for the things he does do well. No, I apologize.
0: My phone's ringing. But <laughs> no, that's fine. That gives us some background music. I'm fine with that. Yeah, there we go. The last topic I really wanted to touch on, and this is something I saw floating around Twitter over the last few days. Um, a few articles from multiple places popped up and it was all based around Gordon Hayward's performance against the magic and people had done like a little bit of a deep dive into his performance when Jalen and Jason are both not on the floor. And apparently, according to the numbers, I mean, I didn't look at the statistics enough to make a valid opinion, but I'd assume that these guys are wrong. Is They're assuming that Jalen and Jason are actually negatively impacting Gordon's ability to control and dictate games. Do you agree with that? Or are you on my side where you're just like, no, Gordon's doing everything he needs to do and he steps up when he needs to step up?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Hayward is the player version of Stevens for me is if he has a bad night, everybody hates him and they want him traded, if not just, you know, waived or, you know, some folks, are, let's drag him all the way into the street and let's string him up and draw and quarter him. You know, it's just a little over the top for me because then when he does play well, it doesn't ever feel like he gets the credit he deserves when, when he is doing good things. So that's it's, that's the the give and take, though, That's that's part of what comes with it as far as his – Hey, I think what happens when Tatum and Brown are on the court, he he really becomes the kind of fourth option playmaker kind of guy versus the scorer, do a whole bunch of things. He's not going to do a ton of rebounding because those guys are two very, very good rebounders for their position. And then what you're going to also see there is, you know, the bigs, they're, they're always going to kind of get there. So I think Hayward, the reality is when he's out there with everybody, it's a little easier to lose him what I don't like is when he's out there with the whole roster available is when he really just becomes kind of a spot-up shooter I like when he's involved as a you know guy who's breaking down the defense and making plays And I always look at it as I don't care if he scores 10 points in those games versus, you know, 15 to 20. Or, you know, or if he even scores, you know, five points. If he's involved and he's making plays as a passer, those things, that's what's important. It's those handful of games where he really becomes relegated to just hanging out on the perimeter. That's 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 when it all falls apart. The other piece that's really important to have in Hayward available is Brad Stevens, when he's had them all there and it's, uh, you know, a gig good game and competitive game, you see he keeps two of Tatum, Brown, Walker, and Hayward on the court together at all times. And I think that is really, really important to to know when you can play two of your four best guys together at all times, that's going to give you a massive advantage over teams because a lot of teams, they, they don't have the ability to pull that off
0: and that's where the celtics are at their strongest right when they're able and people are talking about they the celtics need bench scoring and while i agree with that that's a byproduct of the fact that this team's been injured for so long it hasn't had a healthy stretch because yeah. if they had then as you've mentioned and alluded to they would the bench scoring would just be two of those four guys
1: yeah i think i do think they need they more than scoring i think they need bench shooting is the way I've started to kind of transition in my head to thinking about it because when I start looking at it and and going through it is, I worry about who's going to make shots off this bench. I think they've got seven guys that they know they can trust, and that's Walker, Brown, uh, Hayward, Tatum, Tice, and then Cantor and Smart off the bench. Stevens knows he's got those seven. So it was eighth and ninth spots. Now, one of those spots – Williams and Ojale is probably going to be that guy and you're probably fine. Wanamaker is good but he's a little hit or miss he's not a real shooter so I'd like to see him get someone who can shoot the ball off the bench I think the hope was maybe that would be Carson Edwards maybe that would be Romeo Langford who could provide that but it's it's just a big ask of those guys as rookies so I would like to see them shore that up a little they can shore that up then I think all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's that's a potential profile really changes because now they go from Yo, Alright, well, you can get them in these minutes when they've got to go to the bench. Yo, If, you, if you're if you good enough to contain uh, the two of the four main guys who are out there, and if Smart's having one of those nights where he's two for ten, you're feeling pretty good about it. So I'd like to see them shore that up. I, I, they definitely need a little something. I think that is a much, much higher priority than getting another big in there.
0: I totally agree with that. I'm kind of happy with the big rotation. I feel Robert Williams was a big loss with the injury. because, And Brad Stevens went on record saying when he had the three of those guys and it was the hockey style rotation that he really liked what they were able to do on the floor. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'm not I don't want to interrupt, but three very different guys too, right? Because you had Tice is the more of the the outside component, the more versatile defender. Cantor was coming in and doing his thing as you know a post up role guy, the big you know kind of bully on those second units. And then right as uh, Cantor was tired, rather than having to go back to Tice, they bring Williams in for that energy energy boost where you could start getting up and down and do doing a lot of things as an athlete. So that 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 has been a massive loss. Something that really has been you overlook to this point in the year because I think it. People forget just how much those guys meant to this team and how much, or how much Williams meant to this team, as far as what he could do as that third big in that rotation. And then, if there's any kind of foul trouble, you're not having to go small or go to a far lesser option like Poirier and things like that. You're able to really stick with it with what stick with what it is you do.
0: Yeah, it's been a very under-talked-about topic and I I understand why because Robert Williams wasn't around the team much last year, so it's kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind scenario where he played a few games to start the year, just like he did at multiple points last year and then he's gone down with injury and it's just revert, it's just reverted back to what we're used to seeing the Celtics look like without Robert Williams. But yep. he has been a, a key, key factor in this in this inability to kind of keep two bigs on the floor or keep if somebody gets hurt, like Cantor being injured now, we're relying on Daniel Tyson, Vincent Poirier. As you mentioned, Poirier is the lesser of the options available. He has looked quite able to get up and down the floor. I think he's got a bit more speed to him than Ennis Cantor, but he's just got, from what I've seen, he's really going to struggle on the offensive end, and he's quite susceptible in the pick and roll, just the same as Cantor.
1: Yeah, I think for, for Poirier, it's just really coming down to it and saying, you know, what is it? Yeah, yeah, I think it's just the game moves a little too fast for him right now at the NBA level and it's gonna be all right, once once things slow down for him, I think he's gonna we're gonna really start to see, okay, this guy can do do some stuff because there was a reason the Celtics signed him in the first place. He's a ridiculous athlete who can make a bunch of plays. And I think how that starts to you know, really manifest itself is all right, so where where are we going with this? Because this guy can do some stuff, but let's not um Little. let's let's try to make the game easier on them I just think right now they're not in a real position to do that because they just don't have those other pieces to to be able to pull that off in the moment I think if Cantor gets back you know early in this coming week Poirier can kind of maybe get those spot minutes here and there those you know five minutes and he's playing out there with the with the better players he's out there with two of the two of the main four guys I think things will start to look a lot different for him and it'll look a lot better
0: he did give some good minutes. It was the game before orlando i've' it's, I've lost track of my games at this point, but he gave a a, Yeah, he gave a few good minutes towards the end. I think he had, when it was um garbage time. but that's the problem, right? You can only take so much from a performance when you're against the other team's third string guys as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Those garbage time minutes are really hard because you it's that's probably the hardest thing to do is parse out what's real in there. Cause I think you get into it and it's like, ah, this guy did this, but they're not really they're not running anything. The other team's not really defending. You know, what is this? Now, I always say you'd rather be impactful in garbage time than not, because that is still still meaningful to that extent but yeah you're you're right eh? it's that that's hard to really figure out like start to look at what does this mean
0: yeah exactly oh he got a block but he blocked a guy that's probably played 11 minutes all year (laughs) He
1: he he blocked another guy who's just like him right who who's barely played all year is up you know called up from the g league or whatever it is
0: and the last point is you mentioned talking about Brad having um, seven, six or seven guys that he really trusts, and that was shown when they were playing the Lakers, right? He used, what was it, an eight-man rotation against the Lakers? Do you feel that's indicative of what's going to happen when they play guys like the Lakers, the Clippers, and maybe the Sixers when, or the Bucks again? I
1: do. We go through this every year with Brad Stevens, where in October, November, and December, everybody starts griping. Like, this guy, you know, he's playing 11, 12 guys a night, like, settle on a rotation already. And then he starts to cut it down as we come out of the holidays. We we start to approach the trade deadline. He starts to, I think, no, these are my eight or nine guys. These are who I'm going to. And he starts to go to those eight or nine guys, and that 10th guy really becomes kind of a spot minutes guy. And I think that'll be Robert Williams when he's back on the court and healthy. And that is – that's that's Stevens has done this for, I want to say, four or five seasons now in a row where it starts trimming it down. And then what becomes funny is like – then people start, you know, by the time we're, you know, mid to late February through mid April, leading up to the playoffs, is like, I'd like to see more Langford. I'd like to see more Carson Edwards. Why is Taco Fall not playing? You know, what are we doing? We need to be playing these young guys. And it's like, the same people were complaining about he plays too many guys are now want want everybody to play. And it's there's only so many minutes to go around. And one of the things I think Stevens does is he uses the first few months to figure out. What is it I have? What are the lineups that work together? Who fits? Who doesn't fit? And then when you get into these kind of middle of the season minutes, that's when he starts saying, all right, now I'm going to start condensing it down, especially against the better teams where these are teams we might see in the playoffs. So we're going to see teams just as good as these in the playoffs. That's where he really condenses the rotation down to a playoff type rotation. And that's really important because that allows you to build things out the best way.
0: Yeah, it allows everybody to state their claim as well. So that equal opportunity offense is also equal opportunity minutes claims. If you're playing well in the first few months of the year, then you're going to have some time when the rotations do start getting cut down. So it does allow guys like Brad Wanamaker had a really good stretch. If he'd continued that, then I'm sure he'd definitely be towards the higher end of that rotation off the bench. At the moment, though, I feel like he showed flashes, but then he's just gone off the boil again. And to me, I don't think he's as reliable as what we all thought he was developing into.
1: Yeah, I think the whole backup group outside of smart and canter are going to be hit or miss the the young guys it takes time rookies don't step in especially late round rookie late first round rookie second round rookies they don't step in and do this and Langford was hurt he missed the entire summer so he didn't even get that uh pre-nba adjustment through the um summer league and those kind of things so so that becomes really tricky is they've got to uh, how do I put this they 've got to figure that out to the extent of um, of getting uh, getting the minutes and getting them out there and that 's what Stevens does early in the year and then he had to work around some injuries. Langford was obviously in and out with injuries Edwards went, went through an absolutely horrendous shooting slump which put him in the g league for a while so now it 's just going to be you know how do we get to um, get into the uh, to to the minutes now and then the other guys the veteran guys well they 're they're veteran role player types. I mean, Brad Wanamaker, uh, Vincent Poirier, those guys were overseas for, you know, a number of years before coming to the NBA. Good players, great guys to have, but you'd rather have them as your uh, 10, 11, 12, 13 guy versus your, you know, eight or nine guy rotation. They, they can give you those, those minutes and do those things. So, so we'll see, you know, what that ultimately looks like. It's just going to be be a little bit tough if people come in with these massive expectations.
0: And we'll leave it there. I feel like tonight's game is going to be a good indicator of where the team are should the rest of the, like the main contingent of starters be out injured. It'll give us a good look at what, what these guys are capable of doing when defending against guys such as Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. It's going to be an interesting game. It's definitely going to be one of those where you're on the edge of your seat until the injury report's released. Do you feel like um, Marcus Smart's pretty much gonna go? I know you said you think he's gonna have to cut both of his hands off to keep. Him
1: off <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he if he doesn't play, it's because either the team says you're not playing, or he is really, really hurt. And, and I really do. I think it's gonna be. Um, I, I really do think that he will play. Um, uh, it doesn't didn't seem to be overly serious. He was he was a uh, you know he was a. Yeah, like stand-up comedy hour in the locker room after the game, really, you know, cutting up with a lot of the guys and and things like that. He was, you know, pretty funny. So I think, um, I think he's feeling okay. I think it's more of these teams are very cautious now. If if, if all of a sudden you get to to the game and Marcus Smart is announced out and Brown and Tatum out, the league's going to be like, hey, what the heck? You didn't even say anything was going on with this guy. So, so you you're you're going to be more cautious than anything else. But but I think he'll go. And my guess is, I'm not. Uh, just a gut feeling. I think we're going to see Jalen Brown play as well. And ho- hopefully if people listen to this after the fact, both of those were right in there. They were out there and, you know, did well for, for Boston.
0: Well, Keith, I'd like you to like to take the time to thank you for coming on, it's been a good episode. I'm going to release this before the game so everybody can get some opinions and see what we were talking about looking out for and see whether they can add anything to that in the comment section. Um, guys, if you're listening to this, Keith will have his takeaways up tomorrow. Is that right, Keith?
1: Yep, yep. Usually uh, I shoot for 9 to 10 in the morning. Sometimes it's closer to lunch, but then you get lunchtime reading on the East Coast here in the States. So you know, you'll you you'll get them, though. You'll get them by lunchtime at the latest.
0: So make sure you keep an eye out for Keith's takeaways. He does a great job with getting them up, and they're always on point. They're always a good read. I'm sure the majority of you read them anyway, but still, if you don't, you should. And we'll catch you again later in the week. Thanks again, Keith.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.